This Butler University Lacey School of Business podcast episode features an engaging conversation about women in leadership. Lacey School of Business Interim Dean Hillary Buttrick and Interim Provost and College of Communication Dean Brooke Barnett will moderate a discussion featuring the following three panelists. Patricia Mays, Class of 1993, Senior Director of Content Strategy and Distribution for ESPN. Elaine Beadle, MBA Class of 1979, Secretary and CEO of Indiana Destination Development Corporation, and Martha Hoover, Class of 2018 Honorary Doctorate Member, Founder of Patichu Inc. This evening, we had over 80 plus attendees ask questions of the panelists. Thank you for tuning in and for your continued support of the Lacey School of Business podcast channel. Buttrick, and I am currently serving as the Interim Dean of the Lacey School of Business. My colleague, Dean of the College of Communication, Brooke Barnett, and the newly minted Interim Provost, and I are delighted to welcome you to this evening's Women in Leadership panel with our three wonderful guests. We have Patricia Mays, who is the Senior Director of Content Strategy and Distribution for ESPN. We have Elaine Beadle, who is the secretary and CEO of the Indiana Destination Development Corporation, and Martha Hoover, the founder of Patitu Inc. I would like to encourage all of you to put your questions in the Q&A, and Brooke and I will do our best to, to get through those questions. Um, but before we begin, I'd like to read the land acknowledgement that has been prepared by our friends at the Jordan College of the Arts. We acknowledge that we gather here at Butler University on the traditional land of indigenous peoples, including the Potawatomi, Miami, Delaware, and Shawnee. We honor with gratitude the land itself and the indigenous peoples past and present who have stewarded it throughout the generations. This calls us to commit to continuing to learn how to be better stewards of the land we inhabit, while also acknowledging that some were brought to this land not by choice. So without further ado, I will turn things over to Brooke to get us started. Thank you, Hillary, and welcome everyone. We're delighted about this. And Patricia, we're gonna start out with you with the first question. And maybe you can just tell us a little bit about the work you do. So what does a day in your professional life look like? Um, so right now it's a mess. <laughs> I'm sure like, you know, like everyone else's life, um, it's changed drastically. I'm not in the office. Um, other than one day in which I made a guest appearance because I had a big presentation um, for the, the CEO of Disney and I didn't want to be you know, given the presentation and all of a sudden I'm frozen. Uh, I went back to the office for a real you know, good Wi-Fi. I have not, other than that, I have not been in the office for um, a year. Um, so it's changed. Um, it's a, it is a day full of Zooms. Um, and the um, the actual job is content strategy, multi-platform content strategy. So with that, I am charged with really making sure that everything we do, we're thinking beyond our silos, beyond one single platform, beyond linear, beyond digital, beyond social, and we're looking at everything we're doing as a company in terms of creating content um, and thinking holistically about where that content should go, what content we should create, how we should distribute it 
Um, in addition to that, I also oversee talent development, which means I work on creating um, or partnering with other institutions to bring various learnings um, to our company, um, you know, work, whether they're uh, workshops we're doing right now with Pointer. Um, and then in addition to that, I lead um, our, our um, diversity and initiative, excuse me, diversity and inclusion initiatives um, for our content organization. Thank you, Patricia. Elaine, same question to you, please. Well, uh, just like Patricia, zoom, zoom, zoom all day. And and actually, it's. I think, well, on one hand, I think we're packing a lot more into a shorter period of time. And I don't think we're stepping back in a way since we're all working at home like we probably should uh, to be healthy and balanced. But um, so it's a little crazy now. Um, I'm sure we'll get back to the office. In the next few months, I'm sure we're gonna try and do that. But um, for me, building a quasi-government agency during this, this time has really caused um, a, little, a lot of pivots, <laughs> a little stress, um, you know, trying to get, um, change an old structure into something quite new and different, expand the uh, mission. We kind of replaced the Indiana Office of Tourism Development, which is all about bringing visitors and telling Indiana story to get people to come here just to visit. Well, under the Indiana Destination Development Corporation, it's much larger mission than that. So we're trying to attract talent, uh, retain our graduates and convert visitors. But it's all about trying to tell Indiana story to change the perception of uh, Indiana in the minds of people outside this state so that they willingly and are interested in coming and see what Indiana is all about. So that's kind of what we're doing. And because it was new, we got kind of slowed down with COVID. Um, you know, sometimes decision-making, um, especially in an entity like the government, there's, there's a hierarchy and they're distracted with other things right now. And uh, that's probably been the craziest part, but I think we're getting back on track and we're making progress and kind of moving forward now. So uh, just constant adjusting. Thank you, Elaine. Martha, can you do the same? Tell us about a day in your professional life and what your work is about. Well, for introduction, in case people don't know what I do, I own and operate uh, 14 restaurants in Indianapolis, Indiana, all restaurants that I founded and created. My first restaurant um, was open in 1989, so I've been doing this for a very long time. And unlike Elaine and Patricia, restaurant work is one work that you cannot do. It's one industry that you cannot do from Zoom. Um, we have not slowed down since we have had the COVID mandated closures. Not that we've been open in our business, but we had 450 people within our organization that we were um, taking care of. We Once we reopened our brick and mortars, we brought 230 people back. Um, and our catering, our production kitchen was in was functioning from day one. We never slowed down. And truly, I think I represent the workers who are unable to call it in from home. They don't have the privilege or luxury to work alone or you know in from a computer. Um, so I feel like I'm representing the grocery workers, the hospitality workers, the restaurant workers, and frontline workers who had to actually go into basically battle zones and deal with COVID full on. 
I know that's a that's a harsh answer. I'm sorry about that, but it's it's a very a remarkable distinction between the way our world works. It's a direct and real answer. Thank you for it. Thank you, Martha. We have a question that's come in from one of our participants, and this one is about uh, career progression for young women. What would you share to young women uh, in their career who are hesitant to go up for promotion? So Elaine, I wonder if we can start with you on this one. Sorry about that. Uh, women who are hesitant to go up for promotion. Why does that even enter your mind? Why would you not go up for a promotion? I guess there, there should be no barrier like that to say, I can't do it. You know, if people get frozen in fear of failure, that, that, that's, don't even think about that. Let that go. Go after it. If you don't get the promotion, what's the worst thing that can happen? You, you, you do what you do now and you look for the next opportunity. So I, you know, I never, never step back, never think that you're not prepared. Um, you know, one big difference that people stress about us and our male counterparts is, you know, they can be 50% prepared to do it and they, they move forward where we have to be 110% ready and feel confident that we can get it done. Um, you will adjust when you get into that position. And it's amazing how much women can get done under pressure. And when they're, when they're, no, they need to perform and perform well. So don't shy away. Thanks, Elaine. Uh, Patricia and Martha, anything you'd like to add to that? I, I think, you know, Elaine nailed it. I would just ask, I would just add that you have to ask for what you want, right? There's no harm in that. You may get a no for an answer, but you have to at least do yourself the service and ask, know your value. And that was a mistake, honestly, I made early on in my career. I thought if I sat there and I worked really hard and, um, you know, I did a great job and I, you know, put my head down, um, that someone would just recognize it. And then I learned that, no, sometimes you have to actually raise your hand and you have to make yourself visible. Actually, Patricia, that's what we all, I think, experienced as well. Absolutely. And Martha, did I see you raise a finger to answer? I did, I, you know, it's just in along the same thinking. And I think Elaine's reaction is, you know, was so good and was also mirrored mine is why are you setting yourself up to take a back seat? It's 2021. I think that Elaine, Patricia, myself might have been outliers at the time that we were coming up. And I understand the insecurities that somebody has when they are relatively new and along a career path. But you really have to advocate for yourself. Um, and I think that the sooner you learn how to advocate for yourself, the happier more and more productive and more successful you will be. All right, thank you all for that. Uh, Martha, I'm gonna throw this one to you and you kind of teed this up a little bit in your intro as well, but the past year has been extraordinary for so many reasons. The pandemic, um, increased attention to racial justice, a volatile political environment, accompanying ambient um, workplace stress and mental health and the way the pandemic has, has been borne out unevenly across the country in terms of work life. So in this time, what's the leadership quality or leadership qualities that you've leaned on most while all of that was swirling? You know, I the the what happened in the restaurant world is remarkably unique in um, in all of the companies that are represented today by 
uh, Patricia and Elaine. So I think my perspective will also be a little unique because of what I do. Um, are the, the thing that I found uh, mattered the most in my industry and particularly in my enterprise was what I, um, the leadership skill that translated to communication with a high trustworthiness equation factor. Um, we were in a position where we were mandated to shut down by our, uh, by the, the state. Um, and as a result, uh, you know, we went through some very difficult and very dark days. The real problem for us was that we didn't have any reliable or credible information. We didn't know how serious COVID was. We didn't know how risky it was. We did not know when this would be over. And we didn't know what we were going to need to do to survive. Um, and as I said, we had 450 people, many of whom, quite honestly, for a variety of reasons, um, were unable to rely on the safety nets that are put out there by our government, such as unemployment insurance. And a lot of people in the, the restaurant industry is remarkably diverse. The restaurant industry, not just my company, but the industry as a whole, employed 16 million people on March of 2020. Um, a significant portion of those people have lost jobs. And a significant portion of the people who have lost jobs are women, people of color and African-Americans and immigrants. Um, so, you know, the, the dynamic of what's going on in the restaurant industry, I think is so unique that um, our, what we did on a daily basis had to be just as unique. One of the things that my company had in place is, was something called the Peer Fund, Parachute Employee Emergency Relief Fund. It was something that the company started seven years before the pandemic. We didn't even know the word pandemic, to be quite honest. Um, and that Peer Fund worked to our advantage. And why it worked, what the whole purpose of the Peer Fund is to help people who work at Parachute in times of their financial needs. So being laid off, not necessarily having safety nets, not necessarily being close to family, being un unable to find positions in the in other restaurants at the time, um, being able to apply for unemployment or whatever it is, really put us in high gear and how we executed on our peer fund. So that's what took up a lot of my time. And again, the leadership skills were communicating, being trustworthy, getting information, making sure that staff was safe and protected, making sure that customers also had tremendous trust in our procedures and what we were doing. Thank you for that. Um, Patricia and Elaine, would either one of you like to weigh in on that big complicated question as well? I think Martha covered so much of it. I would just quickly add, you know, she mentioned communication and trust. I would add um, just compassion, just an extra layer of compassion. Um, just rem um, reminding myself, reminding my manage managers that every single day, you don't really know what else is going on in someone's life. You know, our world's changed. There were some people who were dealing with trying to take care of their 
parents that were trying to homeschool at the same time they were learning to new technology, right? And learning how to get set up and work from home. So there were so many things I think coming at people so quickly that I would just try to remind my managers and my team every single day that you, you need to have an extra layer of passion, compassion and an extra layer of patience because you just don't know everything that people are dealing with at home. We have a, a related question, which focuses on sort of the, the pinch that a lot of women are feeling uh, with work from home, with uh, students who are home doing e-learning and the burden that they are bearing. This comes from our, our Q&A. Uh, and this person asks, do you think there will be a more supportive uh, environment for working mothers in Indiana after COVID is over, after the experience that working mothers have, have had during the pandemic. And if I could start with you, uh, Patricia, on that. So that's a tough one for me. They're asking specific to Indiana, so I'll probably uh, toss, to, uh, uh, toss to my co-panelists. I'm happy to weigh in here if you don't mind. This is, can I go ahead and talk? Sure. Okay. I, I wasn't sure. If I, you absolutely I was can, Martha. Go for it. So this kind of reminds me of a question that I have been asked um, over the years. And I know Elaine and Patricia have been asked this question, too. And it always it, somehow it surrounds the, the area of balance and how do women do it all. And, you know, I I don't see anything on the horizon in Indiana that would tell me that that there is something in the collective consciousness that things will change dramatically. Um, what my response now when someone asks me about balance is that that's one of the problems of our system is that the the workload of the family, the workload of non-work life and work life so often falls on the woman of the household. Um, and that load is remarkably burdensome for one person in a family, a family unit, what, whatever the life situation is, remarkably complicated and remarkably difficult. And what I believe needs to happen is that we need to make some real social changes regarding how we how we treat um, not just education, but how we treat early childhood, how we treat women after they have children, after childbirth, and what effective leaves of absence are. I, I think in general we need our our government to step up and to give women the support that they need so that they can function at work if that's what they choose to do. Um, and right now we're kind of left in this world of going, we have to figure the balance out for ourselves. And that is a remarkably unfair burden. Thank well, you, Martha Elaine. Oh, I was just gonna add to that. Um, you know, I don't know how some of our, our young women who are married with family, jobs, and kids at home trying to work at home, help them learn at home. I mean, I just don't know how they did it all. But do I think things will change in Indiana just because of this? 
I don't think we'll see a big shift, unfortunately. I, I think if we get back to normal, it all kind of goes back to normal. There is legislation right now going through for um, women and, who are pregnant and, and, and to get special work accommodations. And they're struggling to get it through. I hope they get something through. It may not be everything they want, but at least it's a start. Uh, but, um, you know, I, you know I, my fear is we kind of all go back to where we were before when we get back to normal and kids go back to school and, you know, moms go, go to work, but they still have, I would agree 100% with Martha, the, the main burden of uh, child rearing and family keeping and housekeeping and everything else that goes with it. You know, I also think, I know in my own personal life, and, and I'm an old lady, I'm, based, I'm almost 67, and I am very fortunate. I am married, and I have three children. But here's the truth. Um, as a woman who took her career very seriously, as seriously as I took my family life, um, I required a I needed to have a partner who understood what the balance needed to be um, and who was as much a partner in, in my work life as I was a partner in his work life. And I think, I think what we're seeing right now is a bit of a reckoning where people need to say, I, if you are live with somebody else, whether it's a spouse or a significant other or whatever, I need more. This isn't working. This is not right that I share, that I have this burden on me all by myself. And I expect more. I believe that all relationships are, you know, 100% and 100%, not 50-50. And that relationships, whether they're at work or in your personal life, friendship or home, they only succeed when you are able to say what you need and what you expect. And also when you're able to say what you are able to deliver. And I just think a lot of these conversations need to happen right. on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Right. And I think from the positive aspect, I think the younger generation is more in tune with that. Uh, with, with I, I think I'm seeing that, you know, our generation, we had to have supportive husbands to really be successful and, and to share the burden. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, there's more, um, I raised two sons. I think I, I hope I raised them with the idea that they need to support their wives. And, and uh, I think that new generation is starting to do more of that. I hope. Thank you all. So uh, we have a student who's asking a question in the chat. Um, and Patricia, we'll start with this one for you. This is a student who said, in business classes, I'm currently learning that there's a strong value placed on traditionally extroverted traits. And I'm an introvert, and I'm worried if that's going to be a setback for me. I think about that in the in-person environment, but particularly, but also in the virtual setting. So do you have any tips or have you experienced that yourself? So um, we'll start with you, Patricia, and then we'll make our way around. So that's a tough one, right? Um, I, I understand. Uh, there was a one, there was one point in my life where I think I was introverted. I don't know what happened. Um, but um, and the zooms absolutely make it so much harder, right? Because you're put on the spot. Um, I think that um, you absolutely can still succeed. You just have to find a different way to get your message 
across. And that means that could simply mean, for example, Zooms. Um, so it doesn't come natural to you. So you have to prep in advance. So even though you might not want to, make sure you're prepared with a question, right? So you are forced to speak up on that Zoom and at least to be present to show that you're engaging. engaging. Um, so there is a way. There's just, there are going to be, there's going to have to be some things that you might have to do differently. Same thing when we're back into a normal environment and you're in a, in a regular office, right? It might be that you want to sit in the back of a meeting room and not say anything because you're not comfortable. You might not be comfortable speaking on the spot. So that just means that you have to prepare in advance, maybe a question, but you have to at least show that you're engaged. You have to at least make yourself visible in the room. Um, so there's, there's some middle ground, but there's definitely some work you can do on the front end before you put yourself in these public environments. But I understand it's not easy. Thank you. Martha, you had a finger up. Do you want to address that one too? Well, yes, because this really speaks to my heart because I actually am an introvert. Um, it shocks a lot of people, but I am on every test, personality test, uh, I fall squarely within the four walls of definition of what it is to be an introvert. I think a lot of people think that means I'm shy. That's not what it means. Um, but I think that there is remarkable power in being an introvert. Um, I also think at some point, depending on the organization in which you work, you have to determine, you know, you got to fake it sometimes. You have to, as Patricia said, you have to get out of your comfort zone. If your version of being an introvert is that you're a little shy or whatever, you have to really work hard to get out of your comfort zone. And what I found when I was younger and probably didn't have the confidence or the amount of experience that I now have, I found that once I started speaking up, um, there's a thing, you know, muscle memory is a real thing. And as you, as you get out, get out of your comfort zone and start doing things that at first make you uncomfortable, it's remarkable how that edge disappears. Um, and I would encourage you to really exert the, uh, exert that ability to say, you know what, I'm not going to let this define me or hold me back. I might just add to that. I think Patricia gave good advice, sort of be prepared. You know, a lot of people, when they take tests by on their, their natural side, they are an introvert, but they at their adaptive side, they, they are more extroverted. In other words, they do participate in meetings and things like that. And I think if the job calls for that, you kind of have to do, as Patricia said, be prepared and be a little more extroverted. It puts a little more stress, I think, on the individual. Um, it, when they feel themselves needing to be in that kind of position. So I think at some point in time, there could be a decision that you have to make. Do I, am I always going to kind of push myself out there uh, to adapt to an, uh, an extrovert style? Or am I going to be really much more happier, much more comfortable, a little stress, less stress by being really good at a job that allows me to be my natural self? There's nothing wrong with that. Great, thanks for those insights. And I know another one of our young participants has is looking for some advice about imposter syndrome. So this is a question from the Q&A saying, as a young woman entering the workforce after graduation, how do you confront the feeling of imposter syndrome in which you don't know if you're capable, qualified in comparison to your new and more experienced coworkers? 
So Elaine, any thoughts on how we navigate imposter syndrome? Well, I don't know. Um, I think that that's kind of where I, what I was saying before earlier with, uh, you know, in many cases, you're as qualified as the other person in doing something. I mean, if maybe I, if I'm not interpreting the question, please correct me. But, you know, you, you're, you're probably just as qualified and you're probably smart and you could learn it if you don't on the fly so that you shouldn't hold yourself back. But I'm not sure I'm answering that question in the way that it was meant. Maybe somebody else has a better idea. I, may I chime in here? I, I, I think that especially young women today need to stop buying into any cultural narrative that holds them back. And imposter syndrome is a cultural narrative that has oppressed women. And I don't buy into it. It does not exist or it exists equally among the sexes. And it you just have to resist the urge to blame it on whatever is going on on your head. Imposter syndrome truly does not exist. It's a made up thing that women have been fed for the last 25 years. Thank you, Martha. Patricia, did you wanna to add to that? There's no way I can top that. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Martha. Thank you, Patricia. I'm sure you, you have felt that as well, right? That this thing where stop talking about stuff that holds you back. Stop stepping into stereotypes that no longer serve reality. Just stop. All right, Martha, we're going to go back to you, um, although you just had that word, but we're going to let you start with this one. It's going to be a combined one, if you don't mind. So there was a question about female role models and what it is about those folks that inspire you. But I think we can also combine it with the question about how have women helped you along the way in your career? And how would you recommend that women support each other in the workplace moving forward? So those might be related concepts and we'll let you begin. I, I have an idea, Elaine and Patricia and I are going to say the exact same thing, perhaps in slightly different ways, but um, I stand on the shoulder of women who have come before me. Um, and I also believe on letting women stand on my shoulders so that I can help them uh, increase their opportunities for success, opportunities to build careers, build wealth, do what they think is will make them have a purposeful life. I have always counted on other women to um, help me along the way. And I will tell you that uh, they have been my largest supporters, um, not just in terms of customers, but just in terms of saying, thank you for saying that. Um, thank you for thinking like that or whatever. Uh, I, I think especially in 2021, there is a renewed understanding that women supporting women, especially in the workplace, is a non-negotiable. Any role models you want to throw out there um, while we're at it? And then we'll move on to Patricia and Elaine and see how they want to weigh in on this. And it could be uh, qualities. It doesn't have to be names of people, but the types of yeah. people that you've seen that you, you look know, to. I I'm often asked about role models and I'm asked about mentors and truly there are so many people uh, ahead of me who, who, you know, gave me the courage to 
forge my own path. But I am I'm giving an answer that I think won't be replicated here. I learned so much from the young people in my life that I it's kind of reverse role modeling. Um, I've learned so much from my children and the young the younger people who work in my company and work at our foundation about the changing world that I really believe that uh, I've got more to learn from them than they have to learn from me. Elaine or Patricia, would one of you like to take that same big combined question? Well, I'll just throw in, um, uh, and this may be the same for Martha and Patricia. When, when I was just getting started in business, um, right out of college or even in college, I didn't, there was no formal mentoring system. Um, you know, and I was in, you know, I, I started in banking, I went to a CPA firm and then started my own business. But during there, there were pretty much male dominated areas. Now, maybe the men did that for each other. Maybe the men took under the younger, the younger guys that came into the business and, and kind of mentored them. But there really wasn't a formal mentoring process, which I, I love today. I love mentoring some of my Butler students. I mean, so it's great to have people that you can just sit down and ask questions of. Um, so having not had anything official, I can't say that I, I was without mentors. And many of them are women that you'd recognize in Indianapolis who were very successful businesswomen, trailblazers, uh, first in, in their, their industries making the move. And, you know, you just kind of sit back and watch them and, and you try and you know, think about, okay, here's my situation. What would I do? What would they do? What would they tell me to do? And you just kind of watch and have conversations, but uh, nothing as a formal mentor mentoring system. And I'm, I'm pleased to see that young women are taking advantage of that today. Pretty similar answer as Martha predicted, right? Um, and especially, um, Susan, I think this applies to all three. We tend to be in male very male-dominated areas, right? I sports industry, um, always been outnumbered. Um, so there have been, you know, every place I've gone, very few women. Uh, so I've been lucky enough in that, you know, we've bonded, we've helped each other. And to Martha's earlier point, for me, like women not helping a women is probably one of my biggest peeve, like that non-starter, right? And inexcusable. So um, I, I can honestly say that um, that the um, um, the workplace that I'm in now, like just some of some of the closest relationships that I have in my personal life are with other women that I that I work with, right? That we bonded over similar experiences and we've supported each other. Thank you for that. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about failure because it happens to everybody on their way to success. So how do you normalize failures in your workplace as a leader and how do you handle it and then learn from your mistakes and what kind of messages do you try to give your team about failure as well? And I wonder if I could um, start with you, Patricia. So another lesson early on, um, I thought failure was a bad thing. I didn't give myself permission to fail. Um, if I made a mistake, I, you know, I just wanted to crawl up in a fetal position under a desk and hide somewhere. Um, and then I eventually learned that the whole point of failure is so you can learn and grow from it. So that is the message that I give to my team, that it is absolutely okay. It is absolutely 100% okay to make a mistake as long as you understand how it happened 
figure out how to fix it, right? And and assuming that you're not going to make that mistake again, and we learn from it, right? Um, I have a friend who likes to say, "Don't let the last shift affect the next shift." That's the other thing. When you do make a mistake, you can't let it grind on you. You have to let it go, and you have to move forward. Um, the other thing that I learned about failure, um, and this was just honestly probably like in in the last decade, um, is how important it is to innovation. And that was the connection that I wasn't making, right? If you if you're afraid of failing, if you're afraid of something not working, then you're never going to experiment. You're never going to take chances. Um, so that's probably been my my biggest takeaway. Thank you, Martha or Elaine. Well, I I have certainly had my share of failures, um, and quite honestly, everything Patricia said rings true. I, I think what I, what I think is that there is this myth that smart people are successful people and successful people always have successful ideas. And that is utterly, that's just hooey, does not bear out in reality. Um, and I think once you realize that success, even if you're successful one time, that success isn't this final destination. Like you are not successful always in everything you do. Um, and that you have to put in the work, you have to do the work all the time. We analyze failures. We, I'm in consumer, I'm in a customer service business. We define failures as the smallest things leaving, you know, a, a side off of a plate to the most major things, having some huge issue impacting my company. But I am a big believer in acknowledging when you fail, analyzing the causes for failure, and making sure that there are systems in place so that the same failure does not occur again. That's it. I was just going to throw in one other thing um, that I learned uh, a few years ago. Fail fast, fail cheap. Yep. And you can apply that to so many circumstances, right? That means it's okay to experiment, um, but don't spend a lot of time on it. You know, if you make a mistake, don't spend a lot of time trying to force it to work. So fail fast and fail cheap. Don't spend a ton of money on it. Good advice for sure. I guess I would agree with, with everything people said. I mean, I hate failure and I think I, I don't look at failure as something didn't go. It just didn't go as you had, you had, you had hoped. It's not that uh, you couldn't have done it better. You should have done it better maybe, but figure out what happened and then don't do it again. I mean, when we had things happen in my wealth management firm and usually it was something with a client service, okay, what process do we need to put in place so this doesn't fall through the cracks again? And I think you just continue to learn from those and you keep moving forward. Um, there's no sense dwelling on most of those things. Elaine, I'm going to throw it right back to you, and you just offered some of those, but in the Q&A and several people in advance, there were questions about if you could look back to the beginning of your career, what's a piece of advice that you wish somebody had shared with you? Or maybe taking it in a slightly different way, what's advice you want to share with your younger self? Hmm. That, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I, I think there's certain things that um, as business leaders, you need to do, take advice, do all those kinds of things. Um, I think probably something that I would tell myself as I look back, there are some decisions are important. And to me, you've got to have the data. I ask a lot of questions. 
but sometimes the timing of the decision is just as important. And sometimes I think I have been slow at making a decision, particularly if it's a tough decision, you know, it's going to impact an employee, perhaps, uh, you kind of just hope, well, maybe it just gets better. And I think pushing off, um, uh, you know, those kinds of decisions is a bad thing. You know, the timing, you need, need to do it and go. And I think if I could have told myself and understood that, take the courage to make the right decision that you know is the right decision and just just move forward. So I think that's, that's one of them. Um, I'm sure there's others that I would say. And, you know, one of them probably is also to not, not be afraid to ask for help. I mean, I think that I kind of initially said, I got to do everything myself. I got to make it work. Um, being able to delegate is important, but I think the ingredient that's missing for a lot of people, you've got to trust that whoever you're delegating it to, that they can do the job as well as you would be doing it. And that's where the delegation starts working. Once you have that trust in, in your associates that, that that will work. And I think sometimes being too fearful, not having that trust that, that, there could be an issue. And if it's a, you know, if they fail, fine, you can fix it and move forward. But I think that was the other fear. If I could take that away and, and um, delegate a little more quickly and a little better uh, and making decisions a little bit quicker. Um, do you want me to go next? Is that, that great, okay? Yes. Okay. Well, first off, I just got a newsflash that the governor has just opened vaccines up for 16 and over. So that is wonderful news for the state. Um, to answer the question, I wish I had told myself to be unapologetic about what I wanted and what I wanted to achieve. There should be zero shame attached to having ambition and wanting to be successful. And um, I think that particularly when I started out, it, in my legal career before I opened up restaurants, but also in the early days of restaurants, I did not give myself or my company enough credit externally about what we were doing that was so remarkably and radically different than what other companies in the same umbrella were doing. Um, and it, it goes to stop apologizing, um, be audacious in what you want, and Speak about it, say it out loud, have a vision for yourself, your life, your career that you can actually achieve without any apology to anybody. I'm going to, I'll be quick because I'm going to echo a lot of what was already said. Unapologetic, absolutely, right? Um, and, you know, we actually came off of a conversation that I think is is absolutely leads into this one. And this is about failure, giving yourself permission to fail, as I mentioned earlier, understanding that this is cliche, but it's true that it's OK to take chances. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. That there is, especially early on, right, in your career, there's probably few mistakes that you're going to make that will gravely impact the rest of your life. It's just, you know, um, um, and, and I think when you get out of the thinking that every decision is going to somehow, you know, um, you know, just, you know, uh, just be the wrong decision, if it doesn't work out, you are less likely to take chances. Um, 
So I think the other thing that um, both Martha and Elaine talked about was just, again, asking for what you want, not just waiting um, for it to happen. Um, and then lastly, I'll say um, is how important speaking up is. And so the not just for yourself, but how it enables others to speak up. Thank you for that. Uh, we have a question that was submitted by one of our participants ahead of time um, around creating an equitable work environment. And the question was, as we just celebrated International Women's Day on March 8, with this year's theme, Choose to Challenge, what advice would you give for women striving to create equity and social justice in our work environments? I wonder if I could start with you, Martha. Um, well, I said this yesterday on a national recording in the food industry, it is much easier to work for healthy organizations than it is to try to correct toxic ones. And I think you can make a real decisions uh, that impact your own capacity or willingness um, to as to where you work. You have to make sure that you go to work in environments that are aligned with the values that you find important equity, inclusion being values that Parashu has found important since day one. Um, and so we have built those values into our structure. Um, I think now companies are aware of where they've lacked, but catching up to a cultural moment is really hard. And we've used the word trust a lot here. It causes you to lose to causes employees and the and the public to lose trust when you're so far behind what being right should be. So I'm like really serious about saying fine when you go to work, make sure you go somewhere where the values are uh inconsistent with your own personal values. I also am sorry to segue backwards regarding mentorship and all that, but I don't know if any of the women listening today are familiar with the We Suite. Um, it uh, is an organization that supports women in business. Um, it is an action-oriented membership community where women use their collective influence and expertise to help other women. And they have uh, something going on right now called Two Million Mentor Minutes, and Women, professional women, particularly older women with experience, have, including myself, have signed up to be mentors. And younger women can sign up for a free hour to two hours of mentorship by women in fields of expertise in industries across the board. So I would encourage people to find this organization, the WE Suite, W-I-E Suite, S-U-I-T-E. Okay, W-I-E. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Martha. Elaine and Patricia, would you like to, to add? What was the question? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was around, uh, what advice would you give women striving to create an equitable uh, environment at work and an emphasis on social justice? Well, you know, I think something that, that Martha said, you know, about the organization, if you lead the organization, it all starts at the top. I mean, I think particularly with culture, there, there's, you've got to demonstrate that you've got to lead, you've got to um, 
be participatory in everything that you're doing and, and making sure that happens. You know, it's, it's important to me that things are fair, they're ethical, you know, all those things. And if they're not, I can't do it. I can't be part of it. And um, I think that, you know, when you do, again, doing your own business, you can set that tone and you can make sure those things are happening. Um, I think it's a little different when you're working for a larger organization and when you've got um, responsibility. And I think no matter where you are as women, we need to constantly have that conversation and be willing to say something when you feel like there's something unfair. I mean, I just had the situation um, last week. I'm on a board where they, we were talking about compensation and um, two people who had been at the same compensation one of them was getting this big raise because of things that they were doing. These were the two main people, second in command, um, one a female, one a male. The male was getting this much larger increase in salary than the female. And yet, yet because they did different jobs, it's not like you can compare them, you know, numbers versus, versus others, other things. I don't want to say too much, but I, I had to say something. I just had to say, I don't think this makes sense. If you value both of these people and you're telling me that both of these people play key roles, you'd hate to lose either of them. Why do you value now one less than the other from your salary? And um, I'm glad I got the conversation started because it ended up that both of them are now still equal again in their new salary levels. And I, I just, we have to have the courage to just say it and, and to bring it up in the conversation. And it, it did not fall on deaf ears. I mean, they were saying, you know what, you're right. When we look at it from a value perspective. So I guess telling too long of a story here, taking too much time, but I think we just have to have the courage to say something. I think it's easier for women of my age, <laughs> you know, when I'm on the other end of my career, probably than the front end, the front end, it's a lot harder to say some of those things. So I think it falls on people like me uh, and others who don't feel threatened and don't feel that, oh, if I say something, I'm gonna hurt my own career. Um, usually that's not gonna be the case anyway, but I can understand that fear in doing it in a big organization. You hate to kind of you know, say something that might rock the boat, but uh, definitely women in my position who have, again, I've been fortunate to have a great career. You, you, know, you get to a certain level you have got to turn around and help the next generation of women step up and be recognized in every case. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you. Do you wanna add anything to that, Patricia? No, I think she covered it too. Elaine went exactly where I was gonna go. It's about speaking up. If you're in a leadership position, um, that is part of your job, period. Thank you. And I put in the chat the link to, I think, the organization that Martha's talking about and the mentor opportunity. So people can find that there in the chat. Uh, there was a question um, that came in from the audience as well. There was a song in the musical, My Fair Lady, Why Can't a Woman Be More Like a Man? In your path to leadership, are there personal characteristics or communication styles associated with being a woman that have made it easier for you to advance? And Elaine, we'll start with you on that one. Are there characteristics that have 
helped me be a leader? Is that what you were basically coming well, down to? I think the question is, are there, th are there personal characteristics or communication styles associated with being a woman that have made it easier to, for you to advance? Now you could flip it the other way to the songs point maybe mm -hmm. of, are there some that people are seeking from you that they're not finding um, that may be more traditionally associated with men? So either way, I think it's getting well, at those gendered part of leadership. Right. right. Um, you know what, I think an important value that women bring is collaboration. I think we are by nature wanting to be working together, collaborating more. And I think we're seeing value of that now in, in some industries where maybe we didn't see it before, um, where women are tending to call each other, work together, even if they're on opposite ends. And I think that's important. And um, uh, I think that's one of the things that it's a woman's natural uh, characteristic and we ought to play, play to it and, and use it because I think it's very effective. Um, I'm sure there are others that, uh, that maybe we're not as effective at, but we can work around those. Uh, you know, I, I, in fact, you know, all those paradoxes that I think were, were put out to us ahead of time, there's several of those that, that are absolutely true. And um, we just have to kind of figure out what our strengths are and play to those. I don't think I'm answering that question very well. Patricia and Martha will have good answers for those. <laughs> no, and I'll let them jump in. But so people know the paradoxes. There was a great study that talked about this kind of double bind for women leaders. So women leaders are expected to be demanding yet caring, authoritative yet participative, advocating for themselves yet serving others and maintaining distance yet being approachable. So that's what Elaine is referring to. But Patricia and Martha, right. please jump in. I think that is a tough question because it inherently puts us in boxes, right? It inherently plays to the stereotype that women are expected to be one way and men are expected to be um, the other. Um, when I hear that question, I think about a trait that I had that you might want to associate with a successful man, but for me, it was seen as a problem. Um, someone actually called me intimidating. Now, mind you, I'm five foot, all of, okay, I was 105 pounds before the pandemic, but <laughs> maybe not so much now. Um, so I'm not that big. So I, I was crushed when someone called me intimidating and said, it and said it as if it was negative. Um, and then when I spoke to someone, and this was, a, I, I told you about the bonding, a, a woman at ESPN who was high level, and she laughed and said, you should tell him thank you. Um, because in any other circle, when a man is called intimidating, you know, it's, he's powerful, he's strong, he's intimidating, he's going to make you and force you, you know, to listen and, and hear. Um, so I think for me, it's been, you know, some language that might typically be associated with male leadership um, and some traits um, that I have with my leadership. Um, and so I think I've had the challenge of trying to manage those and balance those, um, you know, with other traits that I have. Like I, I, am, I would say I'm very compassionate that, and understanding and I'm a people person and making sure that one doesn't outshine the other, that there's some balance there, right? And I probably overcompensate, let's be honest. Do I overcompensate to make sure that I don't come off as an intimidating. So does that mean that, um, you know, that, that I might alter my approach um, a little bit when, with dealing with people who might not be as used to having a woman who is outspoken and honest um, and candid? Um, so so that, that's, a, that's a tough question. So Martha, save us here. 
Well, I'm not sure I have a better answer. It is a complicated question. It's a complicated matter. Um, and I, I've said this before, but I, what I hope someone gets out of my participation in this very, on this panel, is I think it is time for women to stop stepping into stereotypes, the way Patricia said, and stop stepping into narratives that diminish and demean our power. Um, yes, there are some different leadership styles. Some of them are gender specific, I think, because of the culture in which we all grew up. I don't think that these are accurate anymore in 2021. I don't want to believe in 2021 that you don't have empathy and compassion or collaboration on your team because there are no women on your team. I don't want to, I don't want to live in that world. But again, if you're in an organization where you feel like you just are out of step with how the organization looks, how it operates, the values, go somewhere else. You are a commodity. You are something of value. Go somewhere where you are appreciated and allowed to use your power. And do not let someone step on you and step on that power. That's just wrong. And if you allow it, that's wrong too. Wow. I think that may have been the, the best piece of advice I have heard ever in my life. Thank you for that, Martha. That was that was really incredible. Um, we are at, we've got four minutes left. And I want to end, we spent a lot of time talking about obstacles and failures and things that are hard. What do you like about yourself as a leader? What would you hold out and be like, ah, I do this one really well. Um, <laughs> if I could start with you, Patricia. Oh, the pressure. <laughs> I don't know. I can list the 10 things I don't like. Sorry, Martha. Is that a disappointing answer? <laughs> um, uh, I think that uh, it is because I am relatable, right? Um, and maybe that's because of my background. Maybe that's because of I'm, I'm a Black woman and I've had to learn other cultures. You know, um, I am used to always probably being the only one in the room. Um, so because of that, I think I'd like to think that makes me a good manager of people in that I embrace differences. I love differences. Um, I can manage people with different skill sets, with different backgrounds. Um, so I, I think that um, I'm, I'm a champion of, of people. Um, I'm a champion of my people. Um, so and, and I genuinely care. So I think those are probably the qualities that um, that I like about myself, myself as a leader. Thanks. Elaine and Martha. Do you want, okay, I'll just jump in here. Um, I like that, um, I like that someone on my team, especially my managerial executive team, that everyone is very comfortable saying no to me. So often leaders live in echo chambers uh, where people do not feel as if they have the ability or the power to disagree. And I think it's those disagreements that have pushed my organization forward and kept us relevant. Um, 
and and are keeping us growing and prospering is the fact that I am happy to listen to opinions and to thoughts that I might not originally agree with. I believe one of the worst things you can do is uh, when you're in an organization is to come from a place of no with all new ideas. Um, and we really work hard in the Pottershoe enterprise to make sure that we check that at the door. We don't come from places of no with new ideas. We really like to debate um, and we listen to all sides and make decisions. We're not a democracy by any means, but at the same time, I like the idea that someone can tell me that my great new idea won't work and why, and then we craft something around it. I'm okay with that. I, I like to be challenged by the people who work with me. Um, I have always said I hire really smart people and I have to rely on them and their intelligence. So why would I try to destroy that in them? Can I steal that? <laughs> every, there's not a day that goes by that I don't tell someone, give it to me straight every time. Right. Cause I would always rather hear the candid truth and then move forward. A hundred percent, Patricia. That's awesome. Well, um, we're all humble Hoosiers, so it's sometimes hard to take on this, this role of, you know, what, what do you do well? Um, I think what I do well, I'm a big picture kind of person. That's why having somebody working with me who's a detail oriented and we say, let's try this and they go, okay, and they take it and run. Um, I, that's what I like. I like, um, I like ideas. I think that I don't like yes people. I think that's the point that both Patricia and, and Martha were making. I like people who will challenge what I say. So I like putting ideas out there and letting people come back. I ask a lot of questions. Sometimes that gets me into trouble because sometimes people interpret that, that, I, that I'm questioning them because they may not know what they're doing. That's not the case. I need, I, I'm, I'm a needy person for information. I need information. And um, sometimes people, again, don't take that the right way. But if someone, particularly if they tell me, we can't do it this way, or the answer is no to that, I'm, I ask questions like why, and it's not so much I'm challenging them, it's more help me understand so that I know next time what we're trying to accomplish if this idea doesn't fit and isn't in sync with what you want to do. But, um, you know, I think um, creating a business, running a business is really fun. I mean, I think it, it's challenging, but it's also rewarding. And, um, you know, it, it's all about getting the right people in the seats on the bus, as every pe people have heard already and have said that uh, when you get a team that has their own strengths and they all play to their strengths and then you work together as a group, collaborate and do those types of things, um, you're going to be successful. And so I think for everybody out in the audience, look for that seat on the bus that fits you well and fit that you enjoy doing, doesn't create you a lot of stress because it's natural and you want to do it and uh, you get passionate about it. That's an old word that we sometimes use too much, but uh, you'll be successful. I mean, I think I've been fortunate that I haven't really, I've told people I, I didn't, haven't gone to work a day in my life because I just enjoy, you know, what I do and it's just fun. Um, particularly when my wealth, wealth management business that I started by the same time Martha started her restaurants, I think, and she threw out that date. So um, that's what makes life easy and life happy. So.
Well, and that's a perfect ending because for Hillary and me, this is work and it is tremendous fun. And we have been honored and enjoyed our time with you. And I can only imagine how amazing it is to work with each of you. And I'm envious of the people who get the opportunity to do that on a daily basis. So thank you for your time with us this evening. And we really appreciate you joining us. Thanks everyone for joining us tonight. Good night. You're welcome. My thank pleasure. You. Good night. Thank you. Thank you everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in and for your continued support of the Lacey School Business Podcast channel.